0: Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Markus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In this episode, we talk to Raja Shatila, who is a professor at the Laboratoire d'Analyse et d'Architecture du Système, or LAAS, in Toulouse, France. He is very well known for robot control and navigation and has designed robots that walk, drive and fly in outdoor environments, on factory floors, inside the home and on extraterrestrial planets. His research interests include robot understanding of space, objects and situations, robot decision making and robot learning and interaction. He is currently working on projects that involve assistant and companion robots and planetary rovers. Hi Raja, welcome to Talking Robots. Hello. Hello. You're an expert in robot navigation. Um, Why is robot navigation difficult?
1: Well, uh, imagine that you are an explorer who arrives on a new continent or a new planet that you don't know anything about, that you have to discover. Uh, You have to perceive it, to see new things that you've never perceived, new kinds of trees. Uh, And uh, you have to find your way in this place uh this is navigation this is uh the problem that you are facing is uh not to get lost to uh understand what are your surroundings where you can go where you cannot go so uh, actually a robot faces exactly the same problem and navigation can be decomposed into four main issues one is the ma- the mapping of the environment the second is localization of the robot wh- which is moving uh, the third is motion planning, where to go, and finally, the execution of this motion, motion control, obstacle avoidance. So all these have difficulties because of the complexity of the environment, different kinds of features. Sometimes the environment is dynamic. Uh, also, in terms of uh, the robots that we use today, the poorness of sensory data to grasp this complexity is enormous. Uh, we use sonars, lasers, and uh, poor vision, which means that basically the data are a set of points uh, that have to be processed. And uh, finally, there are a lot of uncertainties in this, uh, in this data. So all this together uh, makes the problem quite difficult, actually.
0: Mm-hmm, I see. So uh, you mentioned that imperfect information is, is, is a problem. How do you deal with this today?
1: well uh... basically the techniques are uh... based on probabilistic uh... modeling of of this information uh... information is noisy and is it's imperfect it's of course uh... uh, incomplete uh... so uh... the the way we tackle this is by using probabilistic representations and probabilistic reasoning uh... the uh... uh, this is a very uh, uh, rigorous and common way to represent uncertainties and also to represent uh, the, uh, the fact that you have partial knowledge.
0: So if I understand this correctly, you're saying if a robot wants to go around the corner, uh, then it takes measurements of this corner, but it can't really know. There's lots of errors, right? Right. Uh, so it can't really know. So it has kind of a fuzzy idea of where this corner is.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: Okay. And... Uh, I keep hearing about talking to people in navigation about SLAM and Kalman filters. What is that?
1: Well, uh, so you want to go around this corner, but uh, you have a poor measurement of this uh, of the corner position. So uh, you move ahead to go uh, closer to it, uh, so that you have a better look, I would say. But then uh, you have, since you have moved, you have changed location. And uh, here there is a problem, which is the combination of the the mapping that you want to do of the environment and your uh, ability to localize yourself, I mean the robot, of course, here, uh, with respect to this environment at the same time. So there are two connected problems. Localization and mapping are actually strongly connected. In order to map the environment, you need some reference, and uh, this reference is for example the the position of the robot but this position uh, is not known by itself it's computed from the observation of the environment so mapping and localization are connected and this is slam slam means simultaneous localization and mapping both problem have to be addressed together uh, concurrently at the same time um this w- when 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 uh, People doing research in in robotics discovered this uh, uh, because it wasn't possible to map the environment without taking into account the uncertainties of motion. Uh, A new era uh, uh, was was opened, and and, uh, many techniques uh, were proposed. But basically, uh, it relates to modeling the uncertainties using, as I said, probabilistic uh, representation, and the tools that are used then uh, are uh coming from uh, uh, filtering theory uh, like Kalman filter so Kalman filter is is basically i would say a uh, a technique for updating a system state, and here the system states is the environment map and the robot position at the same time together uh given new observations if ta- each time new observations are made uh this map and the robot position can be updated at the same time using a bayesian reasoning technique this is what Kalman filter amount to of course provided some uh assumptions uh for Kerman filter it's that the uh, uh, process can be uh, the process noise can be modeled as a gaussian noise and this of course is not always the case um, so there are some developments uh, and and also uh, the problem is not linear so they, you have to linearize it and so on but without getting into details the principle is this bayesian reasoning which updates the uh, representations
0: so in fact there are currently two main approaches to navigation, right? There's sort of two schools, even, if you will. Uh, one attempt that, that really, as you just described, uses SLAM and Kalman filters to reconstruct a map of the environment, and the other is really more a reactive or, some people say, bio-inspired approach. What are the main difference, differences between the two? And what is it really true that this is bio-inspired and animals navigate the second way and humans the first or robots the first?
1: Uh, well... I would say that yes, one is reactive, meaning that uh, it's basically going ahead and avoiding locally the uh, objects or obstacles that are encountered. Which means, in this case, that it does it doesn't bother of of mapping the environment. If if there are uh, dead ends, for example, well, it's uh, the robot is going just to continue or to back up, uh, considering the place that it's it's moving in as a new place. It's not mapping it. It doesn't have a kind of memory of the place that it's exploring. So, of course, some animals work this way. Uh, but uh, other animals, uh, including humans by the way, use maps of the environment, uh, even ants or uh, use maps. Now, the notion of map has to be well understood here. A map is not necessarily um a set of uh, well-known geometrical features. Uh, a map is a set of uh, landmarks in the environment that are there uh, to uh, enable localization of the robot or of the animal. And uh, those landmarks, uh, the, the set of those landmarks constitute a map, and this is what building a map is about. It's, it's about positioning these landmarks so that From any place, when you observe them, you can localize yourself. And since the um, observation of the landmark and the localization are related, it's using SLAM in a way. Uh, And again, I I would say that the frontier is not between bio-inspired and non-bio-inspired. It's between uh, the case where you don't need to build a model of the environment, and some robots do this, and the case where you need to build a model of the environment because you have to navigate in a more uh, larger environment, I would say, or because you are going to to, uh, do some tasks in in an area that you need to know very well. And again, some animals and uh, robots do this. This is uh, uh, basically dependent on what the purpose of navigation is.
0: So would you say that? So would you say that some, or even most animals, do both? Uh,
1: yes, that I, I would say that. Uh, the um, uh, again, g- getting back to very simple animals like the ants or or uh, or bees, they they do use landmarks for navigation. So uh, they have a, a map of their environment in terms of some landmarks that are used for navigation.
0: And at the same time, they have reactive behavior
1: obviously at the same time, of course and, and uh, which is uh, by the way essential if you don 't have reactive behavior then uh, of course the, the the robot or the animal is doomed
0: okay so uh, for a bit more uh, for a more general question uh, you 've worked with robots that navigate outdoors on factory floors on extraterrestrial planets or inside the home so in in very 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 different environments. Uh, What environments are the most challenging and and why?
1: Well, uh, maybe this will be a surprise, but uh, uh, I would say inside the home. And why? Because uh, it's a dynamic environment. Because the robot is not by itself. Uh, It's uh, interacting with uh, people who are moving uh, around, who are Disturbing the environment, and this is uh, I would say the most uh, difficult issue it's it's that the environment is not static it's not uh, uh, remaining as it is uh, when when you explore a planet uh, the difficulty is different it's because it's uh, the case where the environment is not very structured you have rocks which don't have uh, very uh, easy to model, I would say, shapes and so on. But this can be um, solved by very simple representations. Uh, the other difficulty on extraterrestrial planets is the fact that the terrain itself is difficult, so you can have uh, uh, motion difficulties, not, not the navigation problem itself, but the motion problem here. Uh, in terms of navigation, if you consider the whole process of perception, mapping, and moving, I would say that when the environment is dyna- dynamic and complex, this is where it, it gets uh, more difficult.
0: So the carpet in my living room is, is more difficult to navigate than Mars, in a uh, way.
1: It's not the carpet. It's, it's because you are there. <laughs> yeah,
0: because I I cluttered the environment. Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, uh, of course, uh, again, uh, uh, in outdoors environments or on, on a planet, you have very, you have objects very difficult to model. But for navigation, you don't have really to model precisely a tree or a rock. You can have just a global representation. Uh, and those don't move. Uh, so in terms of the, uh, the environment mapping problem itself, it gets easier. Whereas indoors uh, and populated environment, I would say, most uh, generally, uh the, the fact that uh, people are moving makes it important to distinguish what is static from what is, what, what is not static, what are la- landmarks, what are not landmarks, uh, how to avoid mobile objects, and so on. So okay. this is a little bit more difficult. Uh,
0: moving to the more general part now. Yes. Uh, in the field of robot navigation, where where do you see the big goals in the next 20 years?
1: Um, well, I would say that what I mentioned uh, basically uh, on purpose until now is um, the fact that navigation is using representations of the environment that are mostly geometrical and topological in terms of the relationship between those representations. So today, ro- na- robot navigation is using geometrical and or topological models. Uh, Just to get back to the question about uh, bio-inspired and non-bio-inspired, mostly uh, one of the differences is also the fact that in bio-inspired systems it's mostly a topological representation that is used, whereas in in robotics you use a a metrical representation as well. And this is maybe uh, what I can add to to the question that that was uh, uh, addressed uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, But in any case, what is missing uh, is understanding the environment, the semantics, I would say. Uh, The environment is not just a set of objects or obstacles. Uh, Those objects or those obstacles are different in nature. Uh, for example, you have chairs, you have desks indoors, you have doors, um, and the, uh, the navigation process today doesn't really account for this diversity, uh, doesn't use the, this, this uh, information, this knowledge, this interpretation of the environment to enable re- uh, localization or to enable navigation and reasoning uh, on the space that surrounds the robot. In other terms, uh, there is no real cognitive navigation. It's basically uh, uh, not, not, not here yet. Uh, I would say the same thing for outdoors. I mean, if you understand that this is a tree, and this is a rock, uh, then, or, and this is a plant uh, that uh, you can, for example, maybe move over, and, and uh, the rock you have to, to go around it, you have a different navigation capacity. Uh, I would say that the next uh, um, big goal is basically understanding the environment as opposed to just representing it by geometrical or topological features.
0: Do you think we'll see a breakthrough in this, in in, in what you call the semantics or in in understanding the environment in the next 20 years? Uh,
1: Well, well, of course, I'm aware that this is an old problem as well, because it's here relates to uh, the uh, problem of uh, robot vision in general, or perception, and environment modeling. But uh, I think that we have accomplished uh, sufficient progress to understand the underlying principles, uh, so that now we have to really focus on this problem, on this issue of of environment modeling and and, uh, understanding uh so yes i think that uh with the advancement of the uh of the sensors uh technology of uh computing technology because we have more computing power uh with uh, the uh, better understanding of the underlying principles uh we will accomplish uh, some progress in this domain i would add that something important in this case is uh, the use of learning techniques because uh, understanding and representing the environment has to be done in a way that uh, um, uh, takes into account a, uh, a discovery process, I would say, uh, where uh, the, uh, the representations have to be built through the interaction of the robot with the objects. And this uh the, the way to go and, and to to do this the way the direction is more most probably uh based on learning techniques
0: so you're optimistic and you'd say that uh the robots in 20 years will be able to tell the difference between avoiding a chair and a cat
1: um well you know making forecasts like that <laughs> uh it's uh uh, the only the only thing that I'm sure of is that uh, I, I will uh, make mistakes by ma- making such forecasts. But uh, I think that yes, this is this is basically in 20 years I would say what we need to accomplish. I don't know if in 20 years we would have accomplished this, but this is where we have to go.
0: Okay, so for the field of robotics in general, now um, where would you think the biggest biggest advances biggest advances will be made?
1: Um well um I think that uh well uh, I spoke already about uh uh representations and understanding the environment I've uh, also spoke about uh learning uh but uh, there is something else in the field of robotics in general which is lacking today and uh where uh, we need to make advances. And I think that, again, time has come and and is ripe for that. It's manipulation. Um, We have uh, rather a a good understanding of navigation and so on, but uh, the manipulation problem, and when I speak about manipulation, I'm speaking about complex and dexterous manipulation, like using hands uh, to grasp objects with... uh, uh, haptic uh, feedback, uh, visual feedback, uh, manipulate those objects, uh, p- putting them together, and so on. Uh, there is a, um, uh, a very open uh, problem there that I think uh, we can address in the in the next uh, years and make uh, several advances in it so to summarize, I would say Perception, learning, manipulation are the three issues that those uh, that can be made and should be made.
0: So you'd say that robots will stop being, being passive and just move around and instead become active and uh, mm-hmm. open doors and carry things and interact? Exactly, yes. Okay. And would you have a prediction uh, for which aspect of robotics will have had the biggest impact on our lives in 20
1: years? Uh. Well, another issue I didn't mention actually is is the the problem of human robot interaction. Uh, basically, what we are we were trying to accomplish on, until now uh, was robot autonomy. We we were thinking about uh, robots acting by themselves in uh, environments that they were the only uh, uh, beings, if I may say, populating. Uh, and uh, today, the um, more um, open or, or challenging issues is to understand how ro- such robots, how robots and humans can interact, which means how robots can perceive and understand humans, how they can accomplish tasks together, and interact together uh, and take into account this complexity of, uh, uh, of, of this kind of interaction of human behavior, on the, on the one hand, on expressing uh, their intentions to humans. So there is, a, uh, I would say, a, a, a very wide domain here uh, uh, on human-robot interaction, learning also from humans, uh, that is uh, very challenging, very difficult, and that if addressed, and it is addressed, will, of course, impact our lives (laughs) uh, strongly because we uh, will be uh, actually able to uh, use robots to interact with them and robots will be able to uh, actually assist us in our daily lives.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Raja, for uh, this interview and for joining us here on Talking Robots.
1: Thank you very much.
0: This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Raja Jatila from the LAES in Toulouse, France. For further information on this as well as past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.